you guys see this story about Tucson and the and the the, the alleged drone that that circled the military base and the you know what I'm talking about here? No, I haven't seen this. I think I'm thinking about the right story here. Have any of you heard this thing? I want to see it here. I did see this story. So yeah. this is from our one of our all-time favorite aviation publications, the website The Drive, and their section, The War Zone, which, okay, I'm on guard already here. But um, new details emerge on the, quote, highly modified drone, end quote, that outran police helicopters over Tucson. Um, so, uh, it's kind of a long story here. Maybe I can, I'll try and summarize it. So basically a few witnesses who appear to be, you know, kind of plausible witnesses observed a drone flying in the air around Tucson. They observed it flying near the big, um, the big, uh, 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 Tucson international and also near Davis, Davis Montham, the air, what is it? Air force base, I guess. And, uh, and then when the uh, when the uh, authorities' helicopters tried to uh, to to chase it down, um, it apparently zoomed. All right, I mean, it, like went apparently went very fast and very high. And this is where I get start to get find it being implausible because the uh, thing talks. My uh, my computer's dinging at me. Ignore that. Um, they report it disappearing. Um, in the distance at 14,000 feet, disappearing into the clouds. And uh, how so, would, how would, never mind. Yeah, no, th- I think I know where you're going with that, Jeb. And that was exactly my question, too. All right. If all they are is, is visually observing it, how in they, were they able to determine that it was at 14,000 feet? And it uh, had that, to be damn big to be seen at 14,000 feet. No, I know. It, that's it what was I mean. chased by two police helicopters. Right. Yeah. But right. now that would get some credibility to the altitude. No, but they but the helicopters claim to be much lower, like fifteen hundred feet or something like that. Um, so, um, so they were trying a, very hard to catch it. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know if they were or not, but uh, I, yeah, the whole story is—I don't know—you know—it's like it doesn't seem to be totally, um, you know, crackpots reporting this on the other hand it's like a crazy story here the uh this whole uh ufo unidentified aerial phenomenon um thing is getting way out of hand yeah that's what i was comparing i was chatting with someone online about this and that's what i compared it to all these ufo stories that we've been hearing lately um but but these 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 witness eyewitnesses claim to have clearly observed it to be a quadcopter at least that's what the story describes it as a quad quadcopter. Um, it, it describes a size and where the size go. Yeah, um, it, it, it says, it says very it got clear. alongside. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, David. You got stepped on. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's all right. Go ahead, Amy. Repeat. All, all I was saying is they had a really clear look at it because it was a near midair, and then the police that's helicopter right. turned around and chased it. Yeah. And then they quote the story here quotes uh, a uh, an online forum called jetcareers.com and it it quotes an individual that they don't really have any credentials for but there's a there's a kind of a long description of the whole thing which is talking about how the helicopters you know came near it and gave chase and it was observed circling the military base and then and then let's see now um it's uh, it proceeded northwest to high speed and climbing um, uh, with the helicopter and another law enforcement helicopter in trail the copter. And by 
I think by copter they mean. Let me think now. I believe by copter they mean the uh, the UFO here, um, the rotor, the uh, drone. Copter began to climb and flew out of the TUS Tucson um, area, about fifty miles to the northwest of town, into the middle of nowhere desert out by the by, by the mine west of KAVQ. It was last seen climbing through fourteen thousand feet into the undercast, where it disappeared. Um, I also commented about a 14,000 foot undercast. I don't know if that's a, is it really, is that a proper terminology? Would there be an undercast at 14,000? Under, I guess under, if, if you were above, 40, if you were above 14,000 feet, yeah, that could be called an undercast. I guess. But none of this happened. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you, Jeb. Do you have some reason to believe that? Uh, to, it, to, the, the Bell 206B or whatever it is that local authorities were flying, I don't think has the climb rate. I don't think it has uh, yeah. that full up. I don't think it has the, the service ceiling. I, and um, I don't think that the story suggests that the helicopters kept up with it. Or well, that's that's of- that's my other point, though. If they didn't, okay, so the, the local area had 14,000-foot ceilings. Um, but that's not typically going to be reported except maybe by a military base. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything above 12 is probably not going to be reported by a civilian um, observing uh, observation facility, um, it's it, it, it we're nitpicking, but the fourteen thousand foot value is a, is a, a a figment of, ma- of imagination. Yeah, it, I, it could I, have I, been. It, I, I'd believe fourteen hundred, and I wondered if it was a typo. Exactly yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. But it, said, it, it says the quadcopter was approximately five feet long by about three feet wide. Mm-hmm. With a single green fra- flashing LED light, um, and then elsewhere saying it was not battery powered, they didn't think it was battery powered because of the performance. How do you squeeze an engine and transmission for uh, and fuel tanks for four rotors into a five foot long by three foot wide craft? Don't underestimate the power of ingenuity. That I believe they probably can do. And That's remember, right. it may not be fueled by something that we're thinking of, like jet fuel. It might be hydrogen fueled with a hydrogen fuel cell. Which is where this all starts to spin wildly or out of control. It could be alcohol fueled, alcohol fueled, a la, you know, like bourbon or scotch. Right? <laughs> That's terrible. That Maybe a little obscure that reference, but maybe there's some herbaceous fuel being in. Yeah, uh, I know, right? Being and consumed here. Something sensible. Terrible oh, waste yeah. of scotch. Yeah, I know, right? No, I'm not talking about burning it. I'm saying that uh, that they've enhanced their imaginations. Their excuse me, excuse me. They've enhanced their observational skills. observation capacity. Well, right. Yeah, was, uh, I, I think and, they, and, that, go I ahead, think they tried to uh, hedge their bets a little bit about this because they, they somewhere in here it says that they thought the drone had a uh, infrared camera, uh, which means somebody got really close, but. Then I look at when it was reported, February 9 at 10.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Kids, that's past dark. Uh, that that yeah. green LED and the uh, heat from the uh, quadcopter should have been shining like a beacon on whatever infrared yeah. camera they had. Yeah. And, Otherwise, and- there's no way in hell they'd see it. This is clearly not something you bought at, uh, at the store. Or you know, ordered from Sporties or something, no. uh, or Amazon for that matter. But here's the thing that I I find just okay, sure, right, uh, is 
this was obviously something that someone's cobbled together in their hangar. Um, they didn't store by this. Maybe it's, um, mm-hmm. maybe there's more of them than just this one that someone's made, but you know, this is one, probably a one-off kind of thing. It's got a single green flashing led light. According yeah, know, to right? Why do you put a light on your machine at all? Yeah, why know, do you right? do this? <laughs> you try to, you, you, come on. Yeah. So, I think, you know, I mean, I was, the people I was chatting with online about this, to the extent that there was any possibility that this was real, that any part of this was real, yeah. everyone kept talking about smugglers, which that kind of starts to become plausible, that smugglers would I, be using rotorcraft yeah. like this to, to carry, you know, drugs usually, probably. They are. I get that. That is yeah, real. I'm sure I'm they sure. are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they are. Yeah. yeah. So, but why? But if this was a smuggler drone, why did it go sightseeing around Tucson? All right. Uh, um, is, is, is a question. But, you know what? I think I'm I'm kind of with Jeb. This didn't happen. I don't know. Something happened. I don't know what happened. You know. Yeah. But uh, tw- you know, 2020 will have an episode. Uh, have a a, a a segment on it sometime soon because they're breaking the story on on UFOs. Apparently, was it 2020 or 60 Minutes? Somebody recently just did that. 60 Minutes. I think did something recently. I sorry. That's what. Is 2020 even still on? Maybe 2020. I don't. I don't. Know. I may be it's, dating it's, myself here. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you're thinking of Nightline. Front yeah, or Tom Snyder. Maybe it's Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder is going to get this thing covered. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Listeners, if you know who Tom Snyder is, was, raise your hand. Um, yeah, I was going to say they're as old as we are. Yeah, right. Anyways. Uh, welcome. On that note, I mean, we've uh, we've just beaten that to death. Uh, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful uh, Dover, New Hampshire, on the banks of the Cochico River, where it might rain and thunder before the episode's out. Time will tell. We'll see what happens. But uh, the forecast is it might. We'll see. Um, and uh, I'm talking to my three of my good friends today uh, here in our virtual hangar. Uh, let's see yeah, now. Th- th- this is news, right? That you have three good friends? Well, yeah, that is a, that is a revelation. No question about okay, it. Speaking right. of 60 Minutes and, and Tom Snyder, um, uh, you know, alert the, alert the media. Alert the media. Uh, that first voice that you just heard is my uh, my good friend from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm good. I'm Speaking good. of thunderstorms, right? It's like we just uh, had one clear out. Yeah, it's still we're still the gutters are still dripping. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? What's going on? You've been flying lately. I've been flying a little bit lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, flew uh, Saturday with one of our guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, flew yesterday with uh, another individual. Just getting you know, some instrument work in and. And that kind of thing, and uh, uh, yeah, cool. Uh, just trying to put some hours on the airplane, make sure. Cool. They I almost sent you another alligator story. I saw another alligator story today. Someone oh, woke up I and forgot, found an alligator send, on their porch. And, I, uh, yeah, I forgot to send you that video we talked about. Yeah, we did. Yeah, right. And uh, my sister sent me a a picture from Facebook of uh, uh, someone took a picture of a bear on their back porch about a half a mile away from Lookout Point. Um, oh. Like, right over there right which is blackout point is a little bit out in the woods but not not bear country and so that's kind of interesting uh anyways also here in our virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world is uh, dave higdon hi david how you doing i'm doing great no no bear sightings lately but we did have a mountain lion in the neighborhood uh, last week so documented yeah, no, I, we're hearing these stories all over the country. The 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 creatures that are coming down into town. It's uh, it's it's a thing. I mean, no joke. It's a thing. And uh, uh, it was it came through that park next to my house, and uh, two neighbors uh, half a block south of me have ring doorbell cameras, mm-hmm. and it went through their front yard. And another neighbor 
half a block further. Uh, he's got a, uh, a wildlife camera in the back, and he's been trying to catch his neighbor's dog rooting through his trash. <laughs> what, okay. what he got that for? Yeah. What he what he caught was a mountain lion looking in the trash can, going, "What? This is all." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, look out for that stuff, though. You know, it's like. Uh, yeah, look out for that stuff. And then also, we're really pleased to have joining us here in our virtual hangar, a good friend of ours, and uh, not with us often enough, but she's here today uh, from, I don't have a clever way of describing where you live, Amy, but it's like it's like down there in Florida. It's Amy Laboda. Hi, Amy. How are you? I am doing just fine, Jack. It's delightful to be back on the show this week. So what have you been up to? How, how are you doing, Amy? I mean, what's going on with you in your life these days? Uh, I have a silly, noisy house is what I have. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, well, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how much you want to tell us about that, but yeah, you, your life is full these days, isn't it? That is correct. That is correct. So I've got, uh, a lot of people living here. So, uh, last year seemed to, uh, bring everybody home for a while. That's the best way to describe it. It's fine. And it's mostly, it's mostly almost completely a good thing. I mean, that's, that's terrible. That sounds bad. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, sounds good. Barry, Uh, Barry seems to be holding up. So, oh yeah, he's fine yeah, with it. He's yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's he he's a piece of work, but uh, he adores <laughs> the new addition to the family, which is we have a grandson now, and uh, he lives here. And you never knew you'd never peg Barry for a baby guy, but he really does. He likes see, to play. Now with that's him. interesting. Okay, no, see that doesn't surprise. So here's the two things that I would I can easily believe about Barry. One is that he just totally is a doting, you know, grandfather. All right, um, and the other is that uh, on the spur of the moment he's disappearing into the hangar. Right? Oh gone. yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, you that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. I'm going into the hangar now. See ya. But uh, that's great. Well, welcome, welcome, Amy. We're glad you have glad you were able to join us this evening. So when when will the grandson get its first airplane ride? Oh, he already has. He's been in already the airplane has. a couple times now. Falls right oh, to sleep. Cool. Yep. <laughs> nice. There's Perfect. no greater expression of confidence in the pilot than falling asleep. I'm pretty sure it has to do with the vibration, but I'll take the compliment. Uh, exactly. Now, now that's interesting, what? though. Um, all kidding aside, did you take any steps to protect his ears? Yes. He had, uh, it, when he was small enough to not protest, he had noise-canceling headset on, uh, just uh-huh. a, one that you would use around the house, a Bose. Yep. yep. Um, the last time, he wouldn't keep it on, and we actually g- created a a like a wadding padding system that, you know, he couldn't peel off. So created mm-hmm. mini, mini baby, you know, noise cancellation system without having noise cancellation. Uh, it was not perfect, but it seemed to do the trick and he went to sleep. My airplane's really noisy, though. It's like 90 something decibels um, in uh-huh. flight because we don't have any headliners or anything. So there's no insulation. Right. So ah. I, well, we got you know, to get him into us. some kind of a headset that works. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, David. Uh, what'd you say? Uh, well, I, I, I was told by a pediatrician once that, uh, that you get about 3,000 feet and their little lungs aren't 
transferring the kind of oxygen that they're used to. And they do the same thing that puppy dogs do. They nod off and don't wake up until you land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably true. He actually was asleep before takeoff. So that's why I'm so confident in the vibration. (laughs) He also doesn't make it 20 minutes in the car or so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, th- those are these are all good things in a child, right? It's like, yeah, that nods oh, off. Oh, like I, this. I remember many a late evening drive with my daughter. Uh huh. Because she wouldn't fall asleep, so we put her in the back of a Pinto station wagon and went for a ride. Yeah. Now, now but, you talk about reduced oxygen, though. Other, I, so I, maybe it's apocryphal, but I've heard stories of airline captains who calm down a rowdy passenger cabin by changing the I don't know, I'm not sure if that's even possible I, raise, I guess what you do is you'd raise the altitude of the cabin um, and uh, and get them to nod off I don't know if that's I true or not I think that's legend <laughs> I suspect that you'd get a note in your in your file if somebody noticed that. Yes, well, the, the old airplanes wouldn't wouldn't tattletale on you. The new airplanes you can't pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I never thought of that, right? Yeah, they must have all kinds of recording going on there. And I mean, because do 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 the airlines routinely look at that kind of oh hell yeah performance data? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess that's part of their several... safety management systems program. Exactly, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Interesting. And, Interesting. And most of the new stuff being built now is coming off the line with a lower cabin altitude capability than what we've grown up with, which was six to eight thousand feet on most of them now they're getting down below four thousand feet in cabin oh, really? altitude and some of them yeah. yeah and i think the 787 is like 2800 feet or something like that wow what what makes them able to do that now when they couldn't in the past uh, better structural carbon integrity fiber of the- carbon fiber yeah, construction yeah, okay. well it, and on the airplanes that are metal because there are some metal airplanes with really low cabin altitudes, uh, the, uh, the the it has to be taken into account in the design phase because everything's going to be a little heavier, right? To stand the pressure differential. Yeah, that is right. true. That is true. But the other thing that is the kicker is that these um, airplanes phone home constantly. Right. Uh. Really? Ooh, I guess I yeah. sort of knew that, but... Uh, um, Ever so since big. they lost the airplane in the middle of the Indian or Southern Ocean or wherever the heck he flew off That's to. what they say. Yeah, okay. That's All right, what, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. They have made it uh, functionally impossible for anyone... Um, except somebody crawling around inside the belly of that airplane that was a stowaway and it's an unpressurized area to get to um, the wires to turn it off. Oh, very interesting. I hadn't heard that story. That's, that's okay. But they, they still, but don't these air, don't these long haul over the middle of the ocean airliners still lose contact? Nope. Not anymore. Satellites now. Yeah, but oh, okay. And so the reason the Malaysian airplane lost contact wasn't because it was so distant; it was because something broke or got turned off. Something got turned off. Mm-hmm. The, the the Malaysian airplane, 
uh, systems tried on several occasions to establish um, a connection with the satellite. I think it's Iridium satellites. Um, that's how they know, uh, based on the timing variances, the Doppler effects, and and a bunch of stuff with which I'm not familiar. The uh, timing of those attempts to connect to the satellite system are how they think slash know that the aircraft headed south across mm-hmm. the equator uh, and into the Indian Ocean. Yeah, that's the ACAR system, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it, it it's not the ACARS by itself. It, ACARS may use this communication system to send data. Yeah, that's what I mean. But but it's a completely it's a satellite. I don't know which uplink or 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 brand name it is, but it's it's uh, it was this was the satellite hardware itself as opposed to some other software. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how they got a, a an approximate impact point on the Air France airplane that went down in the Atlantic years yeah. ago. Uh, the, the ACARS reports that periodically flashed in while they were yeah. they knew still what air, to look, yeah. airborne. They, they, they knew they had a problem and they knew the airplane was probably down um, and they knew where it was last, it had last reported being and, and, right. you know, they, they and then it took it them up, two yeah. years to find it. Two mm-hmm. years to find the wreckage. Yeah, yeah, cool. There'd be mountains down at the bottom of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually a list. We've been having too much fun just talking about stuff. Maybe we should just throw away the list and just keep talking. There's a uh, list. Yeah, <laughs> there. Uh, there is a. Uh, let's see now. So uh, there are a few. At the very least, I want to talk. We got a bunch of emails from listeners, which we love, um, and. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, we spoke about the story of the uh, uh, aviation, um, um, highly uh, qualified aviation you know, pilot and, and aviation journalist, Martha Lunken, who uh, got busted for flying her airplane under a bridge. Um, Amy, you were obviously weren't here with that conversation and maybe you haven't heard the episode. Just to kind of give you the, the short version is that we talked a little bit about it. And although we thought that this was a really foolish thing for her to have done, um, and she admits to having done it, so I, I'm not speculating there. It was a foolish thing for her to have done, we thought. Um, and there should be consequences for having done it. We felt like the just kind of across the board suspension, you know, suspension of all of her ratings was a little bit heavy handed, we thought. And so we talked about that. And and you may want to weigh in on that, Amy, but we did hear from a listener um, who um, actually has video of him in his airplane flying over this bridge. And it's over, an eye opener. At least it was over, to me. Over, not under. Right. Yeah, he was flying. He's flying. So this is from uh, from uh, listener Rob W. Um, he he wrote. He says, "Hi Jack. Since you mentioned in the show, I happen to fly from one of I happen to fly from one of the closest airports to this bridge. Um, the airport's identifier is uh, India six eight. He says, in fact, it's just south from our practice areas." Um, and uh, um, he, he says, by the way, Sporties is also pretty close by. He says, as luck would have it, at the end of my check ride, after I took off the hood from doing instrument maneuvers, the examiner said, where are we? And the first thing I saw was this bridge. Um, and he happens to have it. I don't know if this is from his check ride flight or from another flight, but he has video from a camera mounted underneath the uh, tail um, of him flying over this bridge. All right. Um, assuming this is in fact the bridge, and I haven't confirmed this, but I'll, I'm going to take this on faith that this is that bridge. This just Boy. gives me a different perspective on on this incident because I had oh. kind of picked. 
I had kind of pictured a bridge that was somewhat out in the open and that you could kind of fly straight along the river and get under the bridge and, and then, and then climb out. According to this picture, this bridge is, uh, in the midst of some curving hills and, uh, uh, in order to fly under the bridge, you're getting very close to terrain, uh, either in or out or both. And uh, I just got, I'm, and, and so I don't know whether this now suddenly justifies the heavy, heavy penalty, but it's, you know, it why they, they penalized her that when you read what? the actual, uh, thing, first of all, they revoked everything. They didn't suspend. They revoked. Yeah, sorry, that's the word I was going for. Yes. And, thank you. and there's a big difference. She has to start with earning her private pilot certificate back after the revocation time is up um, and go from there. So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is they claim that she turned her transponder off to do the little maneuver. And she says, my transponder was intermittent and I'd been having problems with it. I didn't know that it was not firing when I flew under the bridge. And I'm not, I'm they not don't sure believe Radar her. Would have seen her anyway. Yeah. Well, she had ADSB. I mean, ah, but but it, it got, what is the ADSB where it got turned off? It was. It, there's no. There's from the moment that she left where she was practicing and dropped down to do that little maneuver. There's no radar trace until she popped back up and asked for. Uh, radar clearance to go back into Lunkin, where she keeps her airplane. Okay. Now, but so, Amy, do you care to weigh in on whether you think this uh, penalty I have no, was... I, I have no idea whether she did what they thought she did. And what they're saying is that there is a penalty for doing that in the U.S. and turning off your ADSB functionally in your transponder to evade ATC Mm -hmm. and that penalty is full revocation. It's considered, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it has to do with, um, wanton negligence or whatever, but, 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 you know, to be an ATP, you have to have certain, um, have to be of good moral character. There you go, of good moral character. That's that's in there. That's actually in the certification, and this is considered to be a breach of that. Well, Amy's in good shape, but the rest of us are in trouble there. Then. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I've, I've I'm got just a saying this is for... what they used um, to 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 justify the penalty that they gave her. Now, yeah. Martha is known to be an outspoken um, person. And to have talked about her days at the FAA with some irreverence. Um, she, <laughs> I mean, there's a very good chance that everything she says is true. I don't know. Um, people I know who know her well say, yeah, that really happened. I mean, but not on everything. Just, you know, every sure. now and again, I'll question. Um, and my heart goes out to her because it does feel like, oh, my God, at 79 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's a privilege. It's not a right, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She can yeah. still fly part 103. Yeah. Uh, can, can she? Yeah. Doesn't require okay. a certificate at all. 103. Oh, 103. Right. Okay. Ultralight. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I'm looking at this aerial shot, 
Uh, Jeb sent me a coffee mug. Very nice. It yeah. Said, Not even Dave would fly that. Yeah. <laughs> Apply that to this picture. Yeah. Wait, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I know this. This the the terrain well, around this bridge was what, really. What was she flying uh, um, when she did this? That's Cessna uh, one eighty. Yeah, that sounds right. I've got the other story open on another it's tab a, here. Let's tricycle see. Yeah. gear. Oh no, that the, the pictures from Rob. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the original yeah, AdWeb right. story descri- describes it as a Cessna one eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm. I, it's hard to gauge because this is like a fisheye lens, and it's really hard to to make out um, proportions, especially on the ground. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> if you got down early enough, I can certainly see a a non um, stressful path under the bridge and out the other way. Um, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter. But, but, it does, yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter. Um, um, and if, for those of you who might be looking for where, where does it say that about keeping your ADSB on? It's in the rule. It's in Part Ninety One. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a separate rule. That's above and beyond flying under bridges. You're not supposed to above travel. and beyond flying under bridge. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Amy is is certainly. Uh, I, I think certainly half of her problem is that she turned off her ADSB. Yeah. Okay. Maybe she did. Right. Maybe she didn't. She may very well be telling the truth. Exactly. You're, I'm sorry. But if you're exactly she can't, right. it, you right. know, you, the problem with the FAA and their decisions is good luck trying to appeal it. Right. 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 Yeah. You got to appeal to the NTSB. Yeah. Anyways, interesting. We'll put a link in the show notes to this uh, to this message uh, from the listener, and also uh, and that includes uh, the video. It's a YouTube video. Um, and uh, thank you to listener Rob W for uh, checking in with that information. Another and email. Re- remember our, our our regular proviso: don't try this at home. Yeah, don't tr- don't try this anywhere. That was and we said that very clearly. This is a bad idea. Don't fly under bridges. Period. Don't fly under bridges. Um, another email here. This is from listener, uh, Sean M and Sean, by the way, is a, a Patreon supporter. Thank you, Sean, for that. And, uh, um, and by way of the, the Patreon message uh, board, uh, he sent this question. I don't quite understand this question. I, you guys can help me out here. Specifically, his question was, what do you folks know about the Arion, the space-based ADSB system? Okay. Now, Arion to me is that um, is that uh, supersonic transport program Dif- that different coincident- spelling, different. Spelling. It is a different spelling. So, what is the Arion space based ADSB system? It is an eighty eight satellite constellation in low Earth orbit that is the equivalent of the ADSB ground stations, and all eighty eight satellites were launched. I think. Two years ago, or maybe it was beginning, started at the beginning of last year. Right. Uh, but they're, they're, they're active. They're selling the service uh, to uh, uh, air traffic uh, agencies around the world. It works over the ocean, which is okay. something our ground-based stations don't No, but do. wait a minute. ADS, isn't ADSB based on low-Earth orbit GPS satellites? No. 
based on ground stations. It uses the... Uh, oh, that's right. The ground stations uses... receive the information that is partially based on GPS information. Okay. okay. Bear with me. Okay, go ahead. GPS provides the ADSB out position information. That's okay, all. yes. Yes. That's all. Everything else is done through the ground network. Uh, yes, have. of course. The whole weather and traffic and... Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Um, does this Arion system require different hardware, or does it use the, regu- the, the, the regular vanilla ADSB hardware? It requires diversity, which is aviation speak for having a transponder or an ADSB out system that has an antenna on top of the aircraft as well as one on the bottom. The one on top is the one communicating with the satellites. And Uvionics makes one that goes in on the tail that has diversity. Mm -hmm. It talks to the ground station. It talks to the satellites. Okay. And so specifically, that's what Sean M. is asking about. He says, uh, uh, shed some light on uh, looking at adding this to his Wheeler Express, looking at the Uavionics tail beacon X. Um, Yeah, that's it. And uh, and do you care to weigh in, Dave, on on its qualities? It's... uh, it's approved. It is meets the regulatory requirements. Uh, it's passed the tests, uh, and the price differential between one with diversity and one without is small enough that if he's ever thinking about going to Canada or flying out over the ocean to the Bahamas or something like that, I think it'd be a worthwhile few few bucks extra. To have mm-hmm. diversity on your ADSB system so that it can work with the satellites. Okay, uh, Amy Jeb, anything to add to this? No, this is this has been around for um, I don't know. As, as Dave Dave says, a couple of years. I think that's probably right. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't know that it was. Uh, I guess I should have. I didn't know that it was up and running. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's basically you know global ADSB coverage. For those willing to uh, to pay for it, yeah, okay. Well, most of the world didn't invest in the ground infrastructure that the FAA did here. Um, for one thing, they just they don't have the aircraft population that uh, caused them to think that it was warranted. Uh, but the airlines and the transoceanic business aviation community thought that diversity thing was a great idea because then you can actually get precise position reports when you're crossing the north on the North Atlantic track. Uh, or if you're flying over Africa or parts of South America where there is no ground relay, mm-hmm. that will pick up your diversity-equipped ADSB out system, and it works seamlessly with the air traffic systems, or at least that's okay. what it's supposed to do. Sounds so, good. Okay. I, I, now I've got the picture. Thank you. I, I was blanking on some of that but you're uh, yes thank you for educating me um amy anything you want to add to that amy you're you're muted are you still here yeah there you are No, i'm still here i just uh wanted to wiggle around in my chair for a minute and it creaks um (laughs) (laughs) canada you you should be hearing you should be hearing creaking from me too but it's not my chair go ahead (laughs) canada is all i have to add to that which dave said so that and jeb said too so uh for a while canada was gonna 
make all the airplanes coming in from the U.S. have to have diversity to come into Canada. And I think they've kind of backed away from that for the time being. Uh, but that was the thing. Uh, you can't fly your airplane there if you don't have the top antenna. I've got yeah. my, that's where my ADSB antenna is, is on top. I don't have one on the bottom. Curious. But you have a transponder antenna on the bottom. I do have a transponder. Well, I don't, I actually, I think it got removed um, when the ADSB system was put in. But I have another, basically another comm antenna on the top of the airplane for the ADSB transmission. Yeah. yeah. That's because you got that really neat old. Uh, no, I, I don't have diversity what, on that. I, I don't have diversity on that. But, but. Uh, well, the um, transponder has to have a separate circuit for the diversity. It doesn't work off the same I circuit. That... I'll go check again. I don't think I have okay. diversity. All right. But it, we'll, we'll let you wrong. report back later, Joe. We'll yeah. figure this out later on. Um, thank you to Sean M. For, uh, yeah. for checking in with that question. Sean, by the way, has been apparently for work. He's been in Singapore for three months working on a ship that was in dry dock. That sounds great, right? And uh, he says he's now in two weeks of quarantine in a hotel before I'm free to go home. Then I get to go pick up the new-to-me airplane. And uh, I hope he's great. getting cool. well, well, well paid for all of that. I, I don't know. I, my guess would be yes, but who knows? I, my guess would be yes. Yeah. Anyways. Well, Sean, I used to work in a shipyard. I, I understand a bit about what you've been dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was continue. that was back when they used um, oh, okay. saws and pegs rather than welding torches. But yeah, Dave used to do that. Burnside, B U R N S I D E. That's not me. I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, another email from listener Tim T. Tim T says, uh, "Let's see now. Uh, I'm a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer for Qantas in Sydney, Australia." Singapore and Sydney, and it's like it's an international podcast, huh? He says, I volunteer for the HARS Historical Aircraft Restoration Society in, oh, here we go. We're going to start this, Jack doesn't know how to pronounce Australian cities thing again. Wollongong, Wollongong, W-O-L-L-O-N-G-O-N-G, just south of Sydney. Anyways, um, um, and you guys can read the email. We'll put a link to this uh, uh, message in the show notes. But uh, we talked about the situation with the small planes that took off on their own after being hand-propped and got away. Um, He writes about a similar, quite an elaborate story about this happening to a, I believe it's called an Oster aircraft. in uh, in in uh, that belonged to the Royal Australian Navy. This is a long time ago, um, and uh, there's both a PDF description, you know, as a story or a, a written description of the incident, as well as a, a, a video documentary um, that uh, he's got a, a link to here. And uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see this, but it's a quite a story. Um, it's uh, you know, and the uh, the video documentary is from like you know the 1960s or earlier, so it's got that kind of a you know kind of urgent nature there's this thing happened and it's really incredible and you know airplanes getting away and uh, um, this plane not only got away and flew on its own but it flew for quite some time over the vicinity of i guess sydney or wherever it was um and uh, they ended up shooting it down um, <laughs> but after beautiful. failing 
after failing to shoot it down. This is apparently a real black eye for some of the Australian uh, military um, because they actually sent jets to fight it to shoot it down, and the, and the jets were unable to shoot it down. They apparently had had, had weapon fa- failures. It's not that they shot it and missed. Um, others shot shot at it, and because it's a fabric airplane, the rounds just went through it. And it's like this thing was just motoring along. Apparently, it was doing great big circles over some area and uh and eventually it went down in the ocean and uh um, it's quite a story trimmed so perfectly yeah 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 well as you know as, as jeb likes to say these things these airplanes want to fly and yeah. so uh um yeah if, if they're trimmed right and this one was because it, it, other than flying in a circle it was it did just fine for a long time and if they hadn't shot it down it probably would have flown until it ran out of gas it were like three hours it was in the it must have been close to running out of gas already so, uh, but this is from listener Tim T. Thank you, listener. Uh, th- thank you, Tim. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, um, it's quite a story. You should check it out. I think we have one more. Oh, no, we have two more. <laughs> a lot of emails from listeners here. David, uh, David, uh, I want to say David W. Why do I have his full name here? Let's see. This is from, uh, let's see. This is a tweet uh, from Twitter. David, that's because he has a full name on Twitter. David Watkin um, uh, uh, contacted us by way of Twitter with what he considers. This is a, he said, included a link to a story uh, from the De Havilland Aircraft Museum. And the story, the tweet refers to on this day in 1937, the prototype DH-91 Albatross. E as more numbers to here. First flight flown um, at Hatfield by Chief Test Pilot R.G. Waite. Um, he he nominates this to be um, the prettiest airplane, um, um, or to be a candidate for the prettiest airplane. And uh, I think that's kind of. I'd never seen this airplane before. Are you guys familiar with this airplane? I'm not. No, it, it is attractive. It, it's very. It's um, it's it's. Uh, yeah, it's very sleek. Lines, very yeah. very yeah. sleek. Very. I I want to. You know what I want to say? I want to say it's a. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's a transport passenger class cirrus it's kind of like got those kind of sleek lines although it's got a twin tail and uh, and four engines and uh, but uh, um, it's, a, it's an interesting looking airplane i'd never heard of it before um but uh, i'm surprised david didn't chime in and say oh yeah that's one of those uh, i haven't da- been able to get the bloody picture up <laughs> yeah is did, it have, de havilland made it? some very interesting airplanes they really did yeah David, are you able to see the tweet from David Watkins? Oh, that's what I'm working on here. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah. See. Okay. Yeah. yeah I flew I one not, of those. I've not seen one of those before, but that's it. It, it has some of those uh, telltale Jeffrey de Havilland touches. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's it's called an al- albatross, not to be confused with the uh, with the uh, amphibious albatross, but uh, oh, that was a Grumman. Yeah, yeah. So, DH ninety one. Huh. Yeah. So I don't know. We, we, I guess we'll accept this as a nominee into the prettiest airplane competition. But it is uh, lovely. Yeah, and it looks like it's using inline engines. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. De Havilland loved. Rolls-Royce engines. Yeah. And then finally, we have, uh, uh, um, um, by way of a tweet, I believe, we heard from listener Justin Cook. Also, he uses his first name in Twitter, so I'll, I'll use it. Um, uh, on Twitter, he's JBG Cook. 
And uh, we talked, uh, I think it was last episode, we talked about um, how people rate the food at fly-ins to be very low on their list of things that they go to fly-ins for. And, uh, and he writes, uh, speaking of food at fly-ins, he says, EA Chapter 33 will be holding its first food truck fly-in on uh, the 12th. I believe it's June 12th. So it's coming up still in, a, in about 10 days. How are now. they going to fly all those trucks in? Oh, <laughs> <know>, huh? <laughs> He says, hoping it brings some excitement and variety. And they'll, uh, they'll daisy chain them together. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they'll use one of them oh, ha- to have on albatrosses. No, 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 no. We'll just get that that UAV that was over. Uh, yeah, on that's the over. one. <laughs> it was highly modified. You know, it could yeah, carry a, you know, yeah. No, apparently this is a great idea. I, I, this is you know what fly-ins should do. I, I would imagine a lot of fly-ins do do it. It's such a well, good there, idea. There's an airport near me that has uh, used to have. Oh yeah, that's ta- right. Taco Tuesdays. This. Yeah, uh, 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 Arcadia. Uh, Arcadia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Used to have. To, yeah, they had, have a food, they had a food truck, and uh, I think they they even discounted their fuel a little bit. I, it's been you know I have trouble getting out in and out of here on Tuesdays, which I don't want to discuss, um, but. Um, <laughs> I haven't been down there on a Tuesday in a long time. I don't know if they still do it or not. Um, the brew pub I'm headed to when we finish here will have a food truck out front. I don't know which one because why it is the food not day. is the food not good inside? The, That's a good question. There is no food inside. Well, ah, they, okay. they do they do have pizza. Uh, they bake frozen pizzas, but the food truck. <laughs> so the uh, answer is yes, night, Jack. Yeah, okay. Last yeah. night it was a Greek place. Uh, last Sunday it was a uh, barbecue place. Uh, they got an Asian uh, couple that come by from time to time. It varies. They like they like the variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, – sorry, I'm doing a little paperwork here, trying to get things organized. Um Food trucks at a fly-in is a great idea, and uh, I, I got to figure that a lot of places do it already. But if uh, if you haven't thought of it, give it a, give it an idea, you know, give it a try. Um, apparently, it, it almost sounds like a, in a follow-up tweet that he sent. It almost sounds like um, among the food trucks was one that was operated by the EAA chapter, um, and so that's you know smart too. I. Uh, I looked up. Where did I discover that EAA Chapter 33 was? Um, I want to say it was like Ohio or something like that. It's there in the Midwest. Iowa. Cedar or something. Yeah, thank you. Iowa. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, um, good on that. Iowa, Ohio, right next door. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) All right. How are we doing here? I think that's, yeah, that's. Yeah, emails are us. There we go. Uh, food trucks. If you like food trucks, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a good transition here into uh, saying that uh, if you like what we're doing here with this podcast, please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really helps enabling us to do this podcast. There are expenses involved. so uh, um, it and, helps. and if you have a flying food truck, we want to know about it. We do want to know about it. Absolutely. Um, Pictures would be good. 
Yeah, which that has nothing to do with supporting us financially, but it's a good idea. You can send individual <laughs> donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. And we want to say a big thank you to uh, Michael F., uh, and uh, who is a recent donor, as well as uh, David W. and Robert V. and others who have made donations to us through through PayPal. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. And uh, we want to thank some of our Patreon supporters. A new Patreon supporter this since the last episode, Brian C. Welcome, Brian C., and thank you. Uh, also, thanks to uh, longtime uh, Patreon supporters Steve T, Kenyon N, Steve D, Larry O, Timothy E, Mark C, Jan S, Patricia S, and many others. Thank you so much for everybody. Um, you guys are the best. Um, for more information about how you can provide automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com. You can get all this information by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolled airspace.com. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate it. What's next? Uh, you guys wanted to talk about this. I hadn't initially put it on the list, but uh, um, you guys thought it would be uh, interesting, useful, important for us to talk about um, rethinking light airplane limits. That's the headline on this Airfax webpage. Um, Jeb, tell us what this is all about. Well, if if you're if you liked a light sport aircraft uh, designation, if you liked recreational pilot certificate and, and light sport pilot certificate. Um, you're going to love Mosaic. And Mosaic is something called the, the Modernization of Special Airworthiness Certification um, or Mosaic or a program, something like that. Um, it um, is the latest attempt to try to tweak the regs to um, um, give the industry a kick in the pants. Um Apparently, none of the other efforts to do something like this have worked to to uh, great satisfaction. So, um, what we're trying to do is once again simplify aircraft certification and presumably pilot certification, um, and and allow a f- more more utility to allow us to derive more utility from the aircraft. Uh, greater power, greater speed, greater weight carrying capability. It all sounds to me like uh, we're just trying to reinvent the bonanza. Um, yeah, I mean, but, why? Okay, but uh, and 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 maybe you know, try to maybe automate it a little bit more than than was re- originally the plan, and um, make it easier and simpler um, to to operate these class of aircraft. I don't, I haven't seen anything about safer or cheaper, or more efficient, or more green, but, um, you know, I haven't read the whole article yet either. So this is because there are just so many new aircraft programs out there that don't have a certification slot to fit into. Yeah, exactly. Not really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's not the reason why, but... Yeah, well, that's my point, yet. is there aren't a lot. I mean, they're like, so you're inventing a new certification category for... the. Well, that, so that's, this would involve designing brand new airplanes that are completely different than the ones we've got now. Yes, that, that's yes. part of the rumor of okay, what David, mosaic. Yeah, there's none of mosaic is set in stone yet. It's not even a net notice of proposed rulemaking yet. That's this true. is all a lot of uh, conjecture. What the industry's been talking about, what the ASTM committees have been talking about. Uh, I mean, since they announced the light sport category 
15 years ago, 16 years ago, there's been a lot of complaints that, you know, if it had just been a few pounds more, it would have taken in Cessna 150s and 152s. And and uh, 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 what is the little beach? Uh, to, uh, skipper. The Tomahawk equivalent. And, yeah, it's Skipper and Tomahawk. Yeah. It, it, that those airplanes could have been included at, 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 to be flown under sport pilot privileges. But because they used a conversion of a European standard, 600 kilograms for what passes for light sport in Europe, uh, we come up with 1320, which was, okay, there's some airplanes certified under CAR-3, air coupes, uh, Piper Cubs uh, that come in under that. And, and her grandfather does legacy light sport aircraft. You can fly them on a sport pilot certificate. Uh, this was supposed to be to try to close some gaps, expand the operational envelope available to sport pilots. And after two years of this being in discussions and negotiations, they're still two years away from it becoming an NPRM. So anything you read now is subject to change. Yeah. This discussion, by the way, is, is triggered by an article in Airfax Journal by mm-hmm. John Zimmerman. John is um, um, with Sporties, but he's, he's writing about, you know, basically summing up some of the rumors <clears throat> that are out there regarding Mosaic and, and the different options um, being looked at. I'm just kind of still scratching my head um, at why we need this, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I hadn't even heard about it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Mosaic is a pioneering web browser, but that's right. Right. Yeah. 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 And that was good enough. Why don't we know about Mosaic? Um, all right. Moving on. Uh, off-field landing of the week. Uh, we had a, an interesting off-field landing of the week uh, on Mars. <laughs> okay, so this is my excuse for <laughs> this is this is this episode's this is the the Jack invents a reason to talk about ingenuity excuse of the week of the episode of the week episode thing. Um, all kidding aside, this could have been really serious. Ingenuity, you've seen these stories, right? Ingenuity very nearly crashed. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of ironic that I talked about ingenuity crashing um, a recent episode. Um, well, and, my ingenuity uh, crashed a long time ago. So, yeah, I know. You know <laughs> no, so uh, a, a really interesting bug was discovered. I'm going to keep this as short as possible, but I just wanted to talk about it briefly. Um, so Ingenuity did its sixth flight on Mars, um, and it was doing a flight from point A to point B. And it's really interesting. As a software guy, I find this really fascinating. So the way Ingenuity controls, I mean, there's a lot of ways, but part of the way that Ingenuity controls its attitude is it has these onboard um, attitude sensor things, okay? Um, Not unlike what we all have in our phones and in our sometimes in our airplanes. Um, And and those kind of start the process of determining where the aircraft is located and whether it's level and, you know, proceeding at altitude and so forth yeah, all right but, no gps but, satellites but right there's no gps right and then they they then they add into that equation they have this down facing camera that we've all seen pictures from all right that just shoots straight down and it takes pictures very very frequently while it's flying and it uses whatever software system it uses in order to, to identify points of you know points on the picture and then it factors that into the whole attitude thing all right so all this combined it's able to say i'm level or i'm not level i'm going to keep level all right what happened here 
is that the stream of pictures had a glitch, all right? And the system dropped one frame in this stream of down-facing pictures, all right? It dropped one frame, but it didn't drop the metadata for that one frame. And so now it suddenly had a sequence of pictures where the metadata was one frame out of sync, right? <laughs> um, and so now it's like seeing things, but a fraction of a second earlier or later or however. And so it got confused, all right? And so Ingenuity was literally just like like wobbling through the sky on Mars, right? The the reports are that it was experiencing 20-degree excursions of pitch and roll um, as it tried to fly along, all right? Um, and, uh, um, and of course- Reminds me is, of my last check ride. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Amy. How you doing? <laughs> um, so- uh, Anyways, um, uh, ingenuity. Saw, and of course, this is all happening completely autonomously because uh, we didn't know what happened until it was long over twenty minutes after it was done. Um, ingenuity uh, apparently said, "This is not right. I'm landing." All right, and um, and and it started to land. And uh, and fortunately, the down facing camera is not used during the approach to landing. All right. Um, and so as it stopped paying attention to the erroneous down-facing camera information, suddenly it was able to stabilize and it was able to land. But it didn't land where it was planning to land. And as a result, this is an off-field landing of the week. Um, ah. And uh, I still like the guy's flight instructor. That's what I have to yeah. say. If you're confused yeah. and you don't know what to do, land. Figure yes, it out right. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, congratulations to Ingenuity for uh, for getting on the ground safely or on the on the what do they call it? I guess they call it the ground in they wouldn't call it the earth, but they call it the, the you know, back on the surface of Mars. And congratulations and, uh, to the NASA engineers that designed that. Puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who for some who inadvertently anticipated this because apparently this is truly a bug. They did. Uh, from what I've read, they didn't an, they didn't anticipate this particular failure, but they wrote stuff into it that was able to compensate and uh um yeah i, I just love this stuff can you tell yeah, all right yeah. unless you guys want to add anything to that i'm going to move on anything yeah, yeah. no okay uh do we want to talk about supersonic airliners there's a whole bunch of items here about supersonic airliners i didn't quite figure out how they all fit together if they do well they're um, all wrapped they're all wrapped around the same thing arion canceled uh, its program arion closed down yeah and it had orders. Briefly, what's what is or was Arion? Arion was going to build a uh, supersonic business jet. I think it was going to be six, uh, 12 seats. Uh, been in the works for 10 years. Uh, they, they got some pretty good guys from Learjet, including Brian Barrett's at the start. Uh, but two weeks ago, they said, hey, out of money. Closed the doors, took the sign down. This week, today, I think it was, United Airlines announced that they are ordering a bunch of supersonic airliners from Boone Supersonic. That's another program. So who thought it was a good idea to name a supersonic aircraft program Boom? Uh, you'd have to ask somebody who holds shares. I don't. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, so... Uh... I, I hadn't even heard of this one. Is this one legit? Is this going to happen? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's as legit as the other, but Arian had actually, <laughs> Arian had actually broken ground in Melbourne yeah. and was yeah. hiring and 
I think they just they they needed a certain influx of cash that they couldn't close the deal on. Right. I yeah. And but they've boom, been doing it forever. Boom, I mean, like I've, I've mentioned this before. We talked about Arion on like episode three of this podcast. Oh yeah. You know, fifty-seven years ago, right? Well, Fourteen. <laughs> no, no joke. Thirteen, fourteen years ago, whatever it was. All right. Um, that's how long the Arion program has been, kind of yeah. chugging along. So I've got a finally ran out of money, huh? I've got okay. friends that work there. Yeah. I don't think they still do, but uh, and Boom Supersonic came along about two years ago with an airline plan, uh, airliner plan, uh, where the Ariane was going to be, the AS-2 was going to be a business jet. Uh, Boom was concentrating on air transport category version. And uh, I think 60 seats, memory serves. Anyway, they apparently are moving forward well enough that United decided to risk some of its vanishing cash and uh, signed some firm orders. So mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm with Amy. This, this, this is going to happen. It's just going to be a matter of on what schedule and how much money. Yeah. So don't believe well, any of the schedule announcements. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, so speaking as one who proudly claims to be a technologist, on one level, yeah, it's absolutely going to happen because the future is a pretty long time, and eventually there will be supersonic, you know, jetliners. No question. Oh, I'm looking forward question. to supersonic drones. Yeah, well, that's another question. But <laughs> I, my question is, why does the world? Why do we think we need a supersonic jetliner? Why do we have a need for speed, honey? Yeah, well, that's the point. We, no question, you're absolutely right. Historically, getting someplace faster has usually been a better thing. My thing, my my question though is that you know the kind of takeoff to landing time of your typical airline trip is a is a very small part of the of the time of the travel. I, you yeah. know, you could you could like double the speed of an airliner, and you don't substantially decrease the amount of time it takes you to get from one place to another, door to door, until you now, go now on getting... thirteen hour legs. But most people don't do that. Most people fly around, you know, their their continent, you know, or their. But there, uh, there, there are a lot of people that do thirteen hour legs every damn day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so why did the so why did the the uh, the 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 why am I see blanking on it the supersonic jetliner the uh, Concord Concord why did the Concord fail because it failed it, financially right it, it just it didn't it no. didn't fail it, they they basically took it out of service because it was getting too old. Yeah. And why that, did they not build more indeed, of them? Why would, was they, it not? It was they, before was, the market, time. Yeah, the market wasn't there. But yes, they were more expensive. But in, as as Concord was flying in the late 60s and early 70s, um, and a lot's changed since then. Or this Concord was basically grounded in, I guess, what, 03? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was economically uh, unviable. Few, too few seats, too great fuel consumption. Um, but air travel had progressed to the point that it was much more reliable, um, almost as fast. Well, not almost as fast, but but the routes and the um, um, stage links were such that um, 
didn't really need Concord anymore. And okay. after that accident in uh, Paris, yeah, yeah, th- th- that pretty much scotched it. Uh, yeah, but it flew for a year or so after that after accident. That, yeah, yeah, but it, um, that was a that was a public works project by the British and French government. When it comes down to the, when it come down to the nut. Uh, both of those countries were heavily invested in the airplane. It was going to fly. It was going to get into service. And it was going to be able to charge uh, an outrageous price for a round-trip ticket that would at least cover the DOCs and, and the crew salaries. But repay the investment? Never happened. Yeah. Wasn't going to happen. When the airplane got old enough and maintenance got expensive enough, it just didn't make any sense to keep doing it. And then they started looking at what they were going to have to do to be sure they didn't have another Paris accident and pull the plug. And it took them a year to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the answer to your basic question, why do, do we need supersonic? There's always somebody that's going to want to go faster. There's always somebody that's going to, going to, going to want to get there sooner. Uh, I mean, otherwise, why do we have airplanes at all? I mean, yeah. the, railroad, uh, yeah. the railroads got us where we needed to go, right? Boats took us I, there, I would, right. Yeah, I, I would suggest that um, this next generation of supersonic aircraft, whether they're business jets or uh, jet transports, airline transports, or, or even uh, more personal airplanes, um, isn't going to make the kind of market penetration a lot of people want it to unless and until the issue of overland sonic booms is resolved. Right. And that's where the name boom comes from. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, David, you got stepped on. Go ahead. I was going to say that's on the same track with with, uh, Amy. The the, the new R&D work is all about airplanes that either make no sonic boom or make such a mild one that at 60,000 feet, it won't make enough noise to get to the ground. Because Arion knew from the start that U.S. law prohibits, without special permission, supersonic flight over the United States. Right. It's not all that welcome in Europe, uh, but technology's gotten better, design's gotten better, uh, NASA's done a lot of work uh, on uh, reducing sonic booms. Gulfstream was working on a uh, supersonic uh, uh, jet that hinged on their technology for reducing the sonic boom to the point where it would be no more irritating than your next-door neighbor's father-in-law droning on about how somebody should have won the game. I... I, I'm aware that all this research is going on. I'm aware of some of the players. Um, you know, maybe it's a question that answers itself in that if, how do you know if it succeeds if you can't hear it? Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I've yet to see or hear about or read about a technology demonstrator that achieves these objectives. Well, Arion was going to do it and try try a different approach than most of the others. Arion's airframe design allowed it to be 
about as fuel efficient at subsonic as it was supersonic. So they could cross the ocean supersonic and then slow down to cross the continent subsonic and not pay the huge fuel penalty that Concorde paid when it did the same thing. When it slowed down to subsonic, its fuel consumption just rocketed up. Right. Well, in part because it was at lower altitudes also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those uh, the the Tucson drone guys have some engineering game. Maybe they, we can get them on the on the job. And, well, that's you know. Hey, did anybody like hear it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, this <laughs> is my point. This is my point. If they just if they well, you just want me to out, do it again? Yeah, they could, if, if we if they could just figure out what to do about that green light, they'd be good to go. Yeah, you, exactly uh, right. Exactly. We're kind of reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, Praise Jesus. There's three more items on the list here. Real quickly, uh, real quickly. Uh, this is uh, for some reason I want to ask this while there's a bunch of us here camping with your airplane. Um, is there someone, a listener asked me recently whether or not there was a resource for places around the U.S., I guess, North America, where you can, where there's camping adjacent or on the airport. Oh, well, Amy, and, and I know one of them. You know a location, but, and, and, and I want you to tell me that location. But my question I mean, is, resource. is there any sort of resource? Is there a sort of, a does AirNav have this information? I'm not AirNav. Um, 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 ForeFlight have this information or, or David, what do you have to say? Well, I, I think Amy's on the board of the outfit I'm thinking of. Oh, Amy? the Recreational uh, Flying right. Foundation is what you're thinking about. Right. At one point, yes, I was. And, yes, they were a very good resource for that. Who did they merge with, recreational, Dave? Recreational a- RAF, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Recreational yeah. Aviation or Aircraft or something. Yeah, something right, because like it's, it's got the – the acronym confuses with the British – Military, but they, but but they, I think merged with somebody bigger. Dave, am I correct about that? Oh, okay. But did they? Yes, they have a wonderful database. They do. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, accessible. What accessible to the public, or do you have to be a member? And is it on their website? Members. Members. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. Um, We we should figure out a lot of the places they list are public. Mm Hmm. Yeah, but the but the access to the guide is is to the ah. RAF or whatever it's called now, Recreational um, Aviation Foundation. Yeah, is what Recre- it was called. Aviation. I'm I'm doing it's, a little it, search. The RAF dot org. Hang on a second here. Let me type that in. The RAF dot org. Okay. Uh, RAF. The RAF. Come on, you can do it. No. Try again, Jeb. Say it again. The T H E R A F dot org. Okay, I spelled it wrong. Hang on. T R. I don't see where I'm looking at this, Amy. I don't see where they say that they've merged with somebody. I could be wrong. Okay, I was... but you believe that they have a uh, that that for members there is a guide of of locations. Yes, I know that. Yeah. That was why they were okay. formed. That was their whole mission right. purpose. Right. Right. Well, I knew that it was to, it was to preserve these, these remote air, air, uh, airstrips. You know, land the homepage says it all. The Recreational Aviation Foundation preserves, improves, and creates airstrips for recreational access. Right. Yeah. Now, those are airstrips for recreational access, but there are also 
public airports around the country where you can camp, such as West yep. Le- Yellowstone and mm-hmm. yep. uh, Orcas Island, so which are very different from what the RAF sites that they're talking sure. about do. Yeah. They're talking and, about and- a lot of backcountry strips. Right. That's what RAF is all about. And mm-hmm. and so these other ones you describe, are they listed in a guide someplace or would it be in what passes R- for the Green Book these days? Yeah. Or- RAF may may talk about some of that stuff where I have found um, camping privilege has often been um, through, believe it or not, like the airnav.com sites and stuff in the notes with the FBO. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It almost sounds like this is an opportunity for somebody because all of the information's out there. It doesn't sound like it's 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 as easily searchable as we are used to in well, this internet age. But uh, I'm not, I'm not so sure about it. I mean, I just opened up a page uh, on on uh, the RAF site that it literally has a map of the lower 48 um, with all kinds of information. Um, click on a dot and and find out the information, and you know, there's like. I don't know, three or four. There's it's color coded. It's um, there's Sky Bryce. I haven't thought about Sky Bryce in, in ages, but uh, um, there's some there's some oh, there's an overview. There's notes. Allows airplane camping and has water, electrical, oh. and bathrooms there on the field at the pilot's lounge. This is the page um, that's titled Airfield Guide. Um, I think so. Yeah, it's a map. Pilot pilot info, airfield guide slash safety briefings is the menus I use. All right. Well, so clearly the RAF site, whether or not it requires membership, um, has some information. Well, that's that's, talking talking not to not to talk about Arcadia again, but um, the Arcadia, Florida airport, they have an air to ground shot um, with various location, various uh, features uh, marked. Like there's a fire hub, there's a pilot shelter, there's restrooms, um, there's this, that, the other thing of of those who want to camp at that airport. Um, so yeah, I mean the, these resources do exist. They might not be as as um, readily identifiable or as consistent as maybe the chart supplement, but at least RAF has some of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's a start. Like Jeb says, there's a, and as Amy alluded to, there's a lot of information here. I'm yeah. looking at it now, and uh, yeah. it's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. What else yeah, we got again, here? Again, it's, it, I'm sure that you know some of this is going to be incomplete. Some of it will have changed. There's all kinds of that going on. Yeah. But um, at least a place to start. Anyways, all right. Well, great. We've re- we've definitely reached the end of our allotted time here. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to. The train's coming. I got to go. No, I don't know. Anyways, don't, don't miss your train, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm going to so, get to one of these places before happy hour is over. I, yeah, right. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Well, thank you, folks. It's, it's almost always, my bedtime. It's always, I know, It's in the, we don't usually do this in the evening. It's a little different. Uh, thank you, folks. It's always great to get together with you. Amy, thanks for, for joining us. Um, I, I suddenly realized that I forgot to ask you in advance how I should describe you. What I have in my little notes here, Amy, from the past, it says flight instructor, assistant airplane builder, and freelance aviation writer. Is any of that true still, Amy? What are you up to these days? Uh, are you yeah, working I, mean, on, I know you're kind of living the retired, you know, grandparent life. Here, yeah, but, uh, I am, but I haven't, you know, I won't deny any 
any of those skills, if that's what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Well, is there any place online that people can go to learn no. what you're working on? No. Okay. All right. I, you're, you're occasionally on Twitter. What's your handle on Twitter? Amy Laboga. Yeah, I know. Yeah, sorry. That was a really boring. She wasn't, she wasn't 100% sure what her Twitter handle was. Anyways, okay. Well, thank you, Amy. It's always a pleasure. We're glad we uh, you were able to join us this evening. This is great. Uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as uh, AvSafetyMag, and you can also find Jeb's work at AEA.net and AvWeb.com. On Twitter, Jeb is BurnsideJ. And uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at AvBuyer.com and AEA.net. On Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me on, online in most of the usual places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? There is no way around it. If you want to get to be an old fart like Jack, you got to fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, right? Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I still think we need to do that wine club thing.